Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Samira Stalks. This is a podcast about the dreamers out there and their stories of entrepreneurship. So if you're curious, creative, and you're ready to make an impact on this world, then this is for you. Welcome to episode seven with me, your host, Samira Sohail. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Raz Friedman from Carno. So if any of you have been around kids or toddlers recently, they're putting us to shame with their technology skills. Some can't even talk yet, but can find a YouTube video of their favorite sing-along. Carno is empowering kids to get their hands dirty with technology, providing a kit to let them make their own computer and teaching them to code in a playful way. In today's episode, we'll hear Jonathan's story of getting over 70,000 Carno kits into 86 countries as it fits through a letterbox and it's as easy to put together as Lego. How they've built a collaborative coding community of 100,000 kids And lastly, how he spent much of his stalking efforts on building a dream team of like-minded individuals, as well as his views on the need for a more adaptable education system. Enjoy! So today I'm with Jonathan from Carnot. Jonathan and I met at the RFA in London, which was holding a conference on the future of education, the rise of things like Khan Academy, forest schools and the proliferation of technology means the classrooms are now being disrupted. And Carnot is right in the thick of that. So, uh, thanks for being on the show with me. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this. Uh, can you describe in a sentence what Kano is? Kano is a computer that anyone, anywhere, at any age can build and code themselves and shape the future with it. Wow, that's a bold statement. Yes, you know, uh, we're, we're, we have a true North Star where we're aiming as a company and you know, you got to start. You have to start from someplace, and but that's kind of the statement of what we're doing, and you know, that's uh, that's that's the mission. And so, before diving into Kano itself, I actually want to start with you and your childhood playing Mario Kart and computer games in Tel Aviv. Your Twitter handle says you took a flight from Tel Aviv to start it, and quite like to know a little bit about who you were as a kid and what you were hungry about and passionate about that you think has helped you get to where Kano is today. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there, there are obviously recollections of, of some experiences of childhood. I think definitely as a child, I was very excited about video games. And, you know, Super Mario was probably the first um, game that I became obsessed about. Because what I liked about Super Mario was that sort of exploration and adventurous um rhythm of the game where this tiny man you know go down in tunnels into the water and then jumps back and create uh, collect coins and eventually you know it's also about love and saving the woman that you love <laughs> which was uh which was kind of very optimistic view especially as you're very very young um and 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 for me it just was about kind of immersing in that experience and and i think definitely that sort of journey of taking a character and you know, exploring the world, making it better, making it safer for the people you love or appreciate. You know, I think that definitely something that you take with you uh, and I took with myself. And then at a very early age, I also entered kind of competitive behavior because I played basketball since I was basically five. And yes, I was, uh, I was, I was, I was, I was a basketball player when I was younger. I played between five to, to 16. So okay. you know, for about a decade, yeah. I had the chance of sticking to something that I was really, really committed to. Yeah. I think basketball was the first 
real the first love that I had okay. and also the first real long-term commitment that I've had that I've given myself to something uh, and it's been going on for you know as I said for about a decade and at some point I also felt that you know you give yourself you, you give yourself something and you make yourself committed to it um, and it feels good to be able to do it on, at a good level of course I didn't become like an NBA player or something like that but I do remember occasions and games where I really felt that all the hard work was worth it because you go up to the game, you manage to score. It's nice. It's a great feeling. Um, and it also taught me about different things like, you know, being a team player, uh, being part of a wider group, the fact that success and failure never depended only on you. Um, and, you know, like stars only exist in the sky because it's a team effort. Uh, and the feeling of winning, the feeling of losing, and managing all that sort of stress when when you're when you're basically also growing up from childhood to being a being a teenager uh it it was an interesting experience looking backwards um i also you know was very very interested in cinema that i started in high school um and you know obviously was interested in 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 history and was a an avid both kind of lego and playmobil uh kind of kid so i had a lot of a lot of both of these toys and this is basically what shaped my my childhood okay. uh, essentially yeah and uh so you mentioned lego specifically mm. uh, a lot of the write-ups about carno have been have likened it to lego uh in what way would you say they are similar well i think first of all we should definitely keep in mind that every successful or potentially successful consumer brands for kids usually is associated with the most successful big incumbents in the market. And yeah. obviously Lego today is also officially the largest toy company in the world. Yeah. Um, and there are many different companies at smaller or more advanced stages than Kano that somehow resemble or have similarities to the Lego impact. I think for me, where I find similarity between Kano and Lego yeah. is that sense of ownership, is that simplicity, is that intersection of by giving young people a step-by-step -step, um, process that they can understand. Um, we give them the chance to complete the process on their own, right? On Lego side, it's building these plastic bricks into something. Yeah. And in Kano's case, it's going through the simple step-by-step Kano book in putting together your first computer. Yeah. So for me, that's really the main similarity. It's that, it's that assembly, it's that constructionist behavior yeah. um, and capturing the objectness of the thing. In so, our case, it's a computer. So initially very physical, but from what I understand about Kano, then they, the kids then build actual experiences, so software experiences once they've built their kit? Yeah, so we, we, we've designed some sort of, um, you know, a software layer with content and application that basically introduce kids code, but not in a way that, hey, kids, we're going to teach you to code now. It's more about, hey, here, here, is, here are different ways of how you can use code in a playful, fun way, Yeah. right? You don't necessarily need to learn to code, but... We want to show you that if you want to create artwork or if you want to create sounds or games, yeah. um, you can use code to do that in a very fun, simple, and empowering way. 
That's 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 how we use code uh, with with in in our product. So Ken Robinson has done one of the most famous, I guess, TED talks around schools killing creativity, and uh, I I guess I want to know what your what your views and opinions are on the future of education and what your reckless dream I guess for it is and how Carno fits into that. Yeah, well by no means am I even remotely close to the level of competence and understanding uh, and observation that Ken Robinson has, which I absolutely appreciate, you know, his philosophy and what he's trying to promote. Um, which essentially at the end of the day it's about how do we prepare the new generations for the future yeah. and the future and the present is already radically different than the past. And I think it starts with the fact that, it, you know, in the West, the education system of today really didn't change over the past 200 or, you know, two, three centuries, right? And two, three, four centuries ago, the education system was designed for an age of empires where, you know, the world needed a certain, certain skill sets from their people in order to support that these efforts and expansion of empires and, and co- opening and managing commercial routes worldwide. But the world has changed. But the education system did, didn't really change since, you know, since that time. Uh, and, I, and I think that, and I think that it's, it's, this is, this is where there is a real opportunity in terms of how do we, how do we treat the education system with a focus on kids and not with a focus on what do we think the world needs at the moment, because what the world needs at the moment may be, may very, may, may, may be very different than what the world needs 10 years from now. So I think the challenge in my view, it's not even about the kids, it's about the system. And the question is, how do we create a system that allows adaptation rather than, you know, uh, deterministic approach of you know this is what education is and this is where we're going so there are definitely things i like with what ken robinson suggests um you know to me it's about finding that right system to support the world in a constant change because we don't know what we don't know we know what happens today but the education system that will be relevant 20 years from now we need to start designing it today not wait until that change happens um so basically, you know, I think where, where, where the opportunity comes in is also opening our minds into what are new populations or, you know, emerging markets like in India, like in China, like in Indonesia, what are they doing in education yeah. to prepare their generations to the future? You know, millions of millions of kids. Um, and, you know, maybe there's something that we can learn because at the end of the day, everyone are very worried, concerned, and anxious about the fact that the world, there's going to be a lot of jobs replaced by automation and robotics, mm. right? But I think what's what's clear is that even when jobs will be lost or will be eliminated because they won't be needed anymore, there's still going to be a lot of work to do because the world keeps <laughs> developing. It's not like... You'd hope. <laughs> well, well I, I, I'm, I'm certain of it because yeah. in any revolution that happened, and just now in you know, in the, in Davos, in the World Economic Forum, they were talking about the fourth industrial revolution. Every revolution has casualties. Yeah. But every revolution impose a new reality and yeah. a new future. So I think as part of that transition that is going to happen over the yeah. next few decades, uh, over the next few decades, I think this is a good 
time to look at the education system and think, you know, what do we envision the 21st century to look like? Yeah. And what are the things we need to do today in order for the education system by 2050 to actually be relevant for the second part of the century? Yeah. Because that needs to start being shaped today, not when we get there. Yeah. Because these things take time. And so speaking of which, coding has been introduced to the UK curriculum. Uh, I think it was last year or the year before. Yeah. Um, and a friend once asked me, why code matters? Why does every kid need to learn to code if it could just be a specialist skill? And I w- guess I want to know what your view on that is. What is my view? What are my views in terms of what's the role of coding in education? <clears throat> like why you think it's important that every single child should learn how to code? I don't think every child should learn to code. Okay. That's not what I think. Okay. What I think is every child should have exposure to code okay. while they are studying in classrooms. Okay. Now, the reason is that it's not about teaching more about exposure. It's because it's about a mindset. If we do not provide access and exposure to the next generation that is going to shape the world, and we're not giving them exposure to the one fundamental thing that has changed the world dramatically over the past four or five decades, then we're obviously not doing our job, right? Because I definitely think that the language with which we interact with machines is only going to be more and more relevant in the world because of the rise of automation, robotics, machine learning. AI will become much more prevalent in our society. And some of these kids may want to build a core competence around knowing how to use that language to interact with machine in a way that makes them more relevant for them as part of what they do day to day. But I don't think necessarily coding is, is a language that humans are going to have to use when they communicate with one another. Because, you know, a program is about how do you communicate with with a machine, with a computer. Humans are not going to stop communicate with language and probably English becoming, you know, the most prevalent language in the world because all countries around the world are teaching their kids now English, right? So, so, so for me, it's about, it seems to me that it's very deterministic to say, let's teach kids to code because they have to. What I don't hear is why do we have to teach kids to code? Is it the right thing to do? I absolutely think that we should expose them to that because everything they touch and do almost today in the world has a program inside of it. So I think they need to understand what it is, what it does, give them the exposure. But the fact that we need to test them on that, they have to learn, they have to... Maybe. I'm not convinced yet that we have to do that. So how closely is Kano, or is it at all, involved in the formal education and curriculum at the moment? Or is it a totally partially. It's, partially? Yeah, it's partially, okay. right? Because I think as part of the change, it also forces the question of what can a company and a product like Kano can do for education? Yeah. And what does education mean for a company and a product and a brand like Kano? Yeah. But eventually, what we are about is about bringing our products and our experiences to kids wherever they are. Yeah. Sometimes it's in a living room. Sometimes it's in a classroom. Sometimes it's in an after-school activity. We want to reach out to them wherever they are. Okay. 
that's something that is completely clear. That's good. Um, so one of the questions I'm asking all my interviewees is uh, around stalking itself. Um, so uh, a lot of entrepreneurs will talk about, especially at the beginning or even now, uh, who they had to stalk to get uh, either their product or service endorsed or looking for financing. Um, can you talk about maybe one of the stories through Carno where you've had to uh, where you've had to chase down people and how how those went? Well, it's happened many, many times. <laughs> You're asking me to choose one. The most exciting chasing that we've done, you know, for me is about the people that are coming into the building, pouring their hearts and time into building something that you basically say that's that's the vision. Yeah. This is what the world is going to look like. This is why we're doing it. And this is what we want to do. And you're expecting them to come and work super hard for, for the company. For so your team. The team, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I think eventually if you're unable to bring these talented, committed, ambitious talent into mm. the building, then all the rest doesn't really matter because eventually teams build success, right? In, in, a, in a startup environment, yeah. right? If you're an individual contributor and you're writing a book, then fine. But... To build a company, it's like building a country. It's building a new entity. You need a lot of amazing people around you to be able to do that. And yeah. I think the people inside the building are the most important one because eventually they are the ones that are delivering on that dream that you once upon a time had as an entrepreneur and a founder. So it becomes way less about you. It becomes about them. And then it's also become less about them. It becomes about the customer, yeah. the people that we serve. Yeah, the people that make the brand relevant to the world. So I bet the creativity actually then from the kids continually amazes you. Can you describe some of maybe the software experiences or the feedback that uh, that has really yeah surprised you? Well, we, we were definitely taken aback by the reactions to the making the computer experience that sort of controlling and having a sense of ownership of the objectness of the computer. We, we were definitely not, we definitely didn't see or, or, or didn't expect to see that sort of reaction from both the kids and the parents. You know, that, that kind of, wow, I just built my first computer or, oh my God, my daughter just built her first computer. I mean, that, that was pretty overwhelming when we first launched the product uh, and it continues once new customers receive their, their computers today. Um, and I think also there are really some exciting stories around kids being empowered by the fact that they're using that sort of new language that they only heard about, you know, code, mm. and they do all sorts of things that, um, you know, make them do things the way they want, right? For instance, Minecraft, one yeah. of the most popular games today for kids in the world. Yeah. What we've done is we've embedded inside Minecraft uh, a programming environment where the kids can play Minecraft, but with code. And, you know, obviously this is very popular for the kids because they love Minecraft. But yeah. now we're giving them almost like superpowers. We're giving them the ability to remake and hack the game itself in a way that allows them to do stuff that otherwise without the code they wouldn't be able to. And, I, and, and a lot of them fi find that very empowering. What age, what age group is it specifically aimed at? Well, it's kind of kids of all ages. <laughs> but then if you narrow it down, it's six to 14. But I, 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 I think most of the 
most of the kids that are really kind of into the product and let's say most of the kids were parents buying the products for mm. is, is around the ages between of eight and 11. And interestingly, have you seen any pick up by parents? Because obviously there's a massive, I guess, generation gap between digital and technology skills of the kids right now. But then, yeah, our parents demographic. Pick up in terms of they're using it? Yeah. Well, it's hard to, it's hard to know, but I think definitely we see that many parents enjoy experiencing the product together with their children but i think separately we've done numerous events and workshops for adults actually just out of curiosity yeah exactly and 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 what you learn is that you know even adults and and you know these parents when they interact with the product they it suddenly open a new world to them uh because nothing is obvious and you learn that for a 40 year old mother putting together a computer is almost as exciting as it is for the kids yeah what would you say, uh, where, where's Carno at this point in its journey and what's it looking to do next? You know, we have a strong long-term mission, which is to allow the world to be a place where anyone, anywhere can make, learn and play with technology, not just consume. And we we can do a lot of things as part of getting to that vision. Um, and, you know, for us at the moment, it's about getting to more hearts and minds all over the world improving the product we have, thinking about what are the new things that kids would love to do, how do we get them closer into controlling the technological experiences that are around them and giving them the tools to shape it the way they want um, so they can be better prepared for the future, which is obviously with, with technology in abundance, um, and, and, and continuing to tell the stories of how Kano is impacting the lives of these young people all how, over the world. How many kits have you sold? Uh, over 60,000 and, you know, we have countries? over, we have over a hundred thousand people in our community, okay. uh, in over 80 countries. 80. 80. Yeah. Wow. Are you doing that B2C or are you distributing through retailers or other franchises? Uh, all of our sales are, are online. Online B2C? Yeah. B- yeah direct to, to consumer. Yeah. And have you thought about? I mean, is that a conscious decision not to go through uh, physical and retail stores? Yeah, until now it was. And, you know, we're definitely exploring and we'll continue to explore expanding with new channels, new geographies, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Okay, um, okay let's move to you a little bit. Okay. Uh, what does success mean to you? That the dreams and aspirations that I pursue um, are authentic and that are truly driven by, you know, how can we, how can I contribute to, you know, inspire young people and unleash their inner dreams Mm. and so they can bring them to life. Okay. What does failure mean to you? And can you talk about any maybe of the low points during Carno's journey where you felt like it had failed and if you ever thought about giving up on it? Never thought about giving up because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite an optimist, which which is a could be a good quality at certain point of time. Sometimes it's good to be a bit of a pessimistic because it gives you a different view of the world. Um 
You know, it's, it's funny because even if there was a time, I don't remember because, you know, quite quickly I try and focus on how this better. is going to get better. And so, so yeah, I mean, and, and that sort of belief, almost childish belief that things will be good. It works. It works for you. Um, okay, so I'm just going to shoot some quick questions at you. Uh, what song are you listening to at the moment? What am I listening to? I'm listening to um, um, you know, classical music and, uh, and, uh, and electro music. Okay. What tea do you drink? Um, hot water with lemon and honey. Manuka honey. With manuka honey. And cinnamon? Not in the tea. <laughs> do you want to tell everyone about your new invention? Well, the espresso with manuka honey. I highly recommend. It's it's really good because you don't want to put sugar necessarily. And the manuka honey has a really distinct taste. And inside the espresso, it kind of balances out. Um, if you were going to describe yourself as a cartoon character or Disney character, who would you say you're most similar to? I would definitely, I can definitely aspire, you know, to experience the world like Super Mario. Okay, good. <laughs> um, what was the last thing that inspired you? I think just this morning I watched one of the one of the videos that uh, we we've done on on reactions of kids to their experience with Kano, mm. and there was this girl, twelve years old. I don't remember her name. You know, you 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 just see that simple human authentic reaction that she had to being able to do something new mm. with a computer or look at technology in a way that makes it more approachable to her you know and if she had one second of happiness because of that Ooh. it's worth everything <laughs> so lastly yeah. uh have you got any yonatanisms which is any advice or stepping stones or mantras who, for someone who is looking to make positive social impact and starting a business to do that? Well, I, I think not too much philosophical about it, just kind of basic things, right? Making sure you're passionate about whatever it is that you would like to do, and then making sure that you're not only passionate about it, but also there's someone out there in the world that can say, wow, that moves me. You know, all else follows follows that, basically. Great. Well, thank you. So I'll leave thank you with you. that, listeners. Yeah. And thanks for being with us. Thank you. It was wonderful. Thanks for listening. You know the drill by now. Subscribe to the podcast, leave a review and get in touch at Samira Storks on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter to let me know what you thought. Next time you're killing time perusing online on a lazy Sunday, check out my site samirastorks.com and sign up for my no-nonsense newsletter and blog for more info. Next time, I'm excited to bring you a twist on the Three Little Pigs story by Jenny Cardinal. She's one of these phenomenal women who is changing the landscape of sustainable architecture starting a grassroots movement, village by village, in Bali. She's lived a life of many chapters, from sailing around the world for four years, to inventing a method to construct houses made out of straw. 
not bricks, nor sticks, yes, you heard it right, straw. And these aren't Eeyore-type structures, which can be blown away by a gentle summer breeze. They're earthquake-proof. So, we'll hear her story of her travels across the oceans, what it feels like not to see land and the type of things one gets up to on a sailboat, constructing her own straw bale machinery to get the job done, as nothing out there existed, and lastly, how she opened up her process to the villagers to empower them to start making their own buildings from homes to schools, repurposing unwanted materials such as straw from rice farmers and old nets from fishermen to create a self-sufficient ecosystem. Join me then. Bye.